Well, hello, everybody. This is Marguerite Crispello, and I am extremely honored today to have one of my very good friends, Valisa Schmidley, here to talk to us about some really exciting stuff she has going on. You know, it's funny, I have only really known Valisa a little over maybe a year or two now. I've kind of seen her in the industry, and we ended up talking and chatting, and we instantly had this. Uh, pretty cool connection. I think we were uh, sisters from a different mister or something back in the day. So welcome, Valisa. Thank you, Marguerite. Very excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me. My so pleasure. I am actually want to start today with you talking a little bit about your background because uh, I think it's very fascinating and hilarious. And more than anything, I love your accent. So <laughs> I love to just listen to you talk. Well, people either find it charming or they want to automatically deduct a few of my IQ points. But I started in the industry in the early 80s. I had moved to Houston and was working in a bank. Um, the Houston uh, market was booming and I was a young person trying to find my path. Um, and I moved to Houston and went to work for a bank and rented an apartment. As it turned out, it was a luxury apartment, but it also happened to be the only apartment complex within two blocks of the bank. And I moved in and the lady there who was a manager, uh, her name was Effie Watson. She took a shine to me just um, as I would come in and out of the office in the afternoons and get my mail after work. We'd chat. She was about 60 at the time. Very uh, professional, big, uh, broad-shouldered, strong woman, beautiful woman, very intelligent, very typical Texas grand dame. Uh, lovely woman and we would chat and she'd have me sit down and uh, one day I got a call at the bank just out of the blue. Valisa this is Ms. Watson and I just wanted to call and tell you that I need you to come by my office when you get off today from the bank. Okay. Uh, what do you need Ms. Watson? She said I want to talk to you. I have a job offer for you. And so I stopped by her office uh, in the afternoon and sure enough she said uh, you have a job interview. Uh, tomorrow. Uh, I don't think I ever told you this, but I'm not just the manager here. Um, I'm the mother of this company. I started this apartment complex. My sons and I have this, and we own 33 more throughout the state of Texas. And oh, oh, and I forgot, we've got four office buildings, too. Oh, my. And she said, but I'm the mother of the company. They, they run it, but I started it. I started with eight apartments in a HUD property. Uh, in Tomball, Texas, back in the 70s. And so she says, we have a bunch of apartment complexes, and you have an interview tomorrow. Um, and I said, well, gosh, I appreciate that. I, I, I really appreciate this, and, and but I don't know anything about real estate. And so I don't think I can take that. And she said, oh, no, it's all right. We need good people. Our company's growing so fast we can't hire enough people, and we need good people that we can trust. And uh, your character is what we're after. We'll teach you what you need to know. What kind of job is it, Miss Effie? And she said, well, it's actually an accounting position. <laughs> and, uh, oh, oh, Lord, I don't know anything about accounting. And she said, that's all right, we'll teach you. Now, you're going to go down there, and you're going to have an interview with an old boy. His name's Al. And uh, it's kind of a wormy little thing. I don't like him. 
she said. But uh, she said, for right now, he's the person running the, the accounting department, and he thinks he's interviewing you. But if he don't hire you, he doesn't know it, but he's going to get fired. Oh, my. So she handed me a handful of crumpled $100 bills and said, go over to Foley's or over to Macy's at Willowbrook, and I want you to buy yourself something in that pretty royal blue color and poof up your hair real big like you do. And, <laughs> oh, by the way, wear those good-looking black patent pumps that you have and go down there and sit up real pretty and straight, smile at him, and he's going to hire you. And so I did. Um, he looked absolutely thrilled <laughs> to be interviewing somebody with no real estate experience and no accounting experience and having been told that I'd be his new employee. But I went in and did that, and they did hire me. I gave notice at the bank and, and went to work. And the first day I got there, they ushered me back in and said, by the way, we're expanding our space, and your office is not ready, so we're going to put you in here in a temporary office over here in our development division. And they ushered me back into a small office and opened the door, big fabulous glass wall, big view of the Houston Astrodome. And this um, nerdy looking fellow was sitting there at a desk with his head down. And they said, you're gonna share an office in here uh, with him until we can get your office finished. Say hello to Jeff Schmidley. Oh, that was your future husband. So um, Effie uh, not only gave me my start in my career, but um, in a roundabout way, Effie basically gave me my life and my whole future because obviously I married Jeff and we've raised two children together and I've come in and out of the real estate industry and had three careers in between. So um, I owe Effie really uh, almost everything that I have now. And I love, you know, mentor women like that. You know, I think that, that good, strong women are always willing to share and help uh, other people improve their lives, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I think we need more of those. <laughs> and I think that's something that you've actually done as well. You've been a, an incredible mentor. So you went from Houston, and then where did you go? Because you ended up here in Rockland well, somehow. Right I, well, I worked with... Um, I worked with the company for a while, uh, and Jeff and I started dating. No one in the company knew that we were dating. We had been seeing each other for almost a year, but we kept it very private. Uh, We didn't want to have a torrid office romance, and we were very protective of our relationship. So we worked there for about a year, and when we got serious, uh, we made the decision that one of us would leave. So I left, took a position as a firm administrator for a CPA firm, and we stayed in Houston until the oil industry began to go bust. Um, When we decided to marry, we knew that we didn't want to raise a family in Houston. We We didn't want to stay in Texas. So we came back to the Atlanta area. I'm from originally from Columbus, Georgia, and we came back to Atlanta, and we were married and bought our first home there in the suburbs of Atlanta and started having babies. And I worked for a developer there uh, in Georgia who insisted that I get my license and um, said, I'll pay for it, but I think you have a future in sales. And, you know, Valisa, I want you to get get that real estate license, and I've already paid for it. Go over to the college and get it. And (laughs) so I did. 
Um, of course, then the babies came along, and I didn't do anything with the license. I worked until the week my daughter was born, and then I stayed at home. Um, it was a conscious decision. Um, we didn't have furniture in most of our house. Um, it was decorated in little tykes. <laughs> I stayed at home and uh, and didn't didn't work for a number of years. Ran a small event planning and catering business out of my house. Did a wedding here and a wedding there. I like to cook, so you're a fabulous I, cook too. Thank you, thank you. And I stayed home, and, but I always wanted to keep my finger in some sort of a pie. I I have always had a little bit of a creative streak. Always wanted. You know, there's always that nagging thing in a woman that's, well, I wonder if I could. Yes. Or I wonder if I tried, could I do this? And so I, I stayed home, didn't have any regrets in doing so, but always kind of looked ahead and thought, someday I'll do something with this. Jeff always encouraged me as well to go into real estate sales. So Verizon... Uh, he was with Verizon at the time. He had a, a regional financial position there, and they transferred him out here. I came to California absolutely kicking and screaming, um, you know, debating, um, can I live without him and stay in the South? And the, the decision, of course, was no. So uh, we packed up. a culture shock. To it it was. <laughs> to, uh... Oh, yes, it was. Um, I was very self-conscious when we first moved here. Um, I couldn't go to the grocery store without having someone make an issue about how I talked. (laughs) Everywhere I went, um, I went in a furniture store one day, and the sales guy asked me if he could help me, and I said, no, thank you. I was just looking, and I wanted to look around at sofas. had just moved here, and he proceeded to launch into a complete... Um, mimic of what I had just said in his worst southern accent (laughs) and it just rubbed me the wrong way Marguerite and oh my goodness he's you know his comment was oh you sound just like Miss Melanie I had at that point I had had enough of of the (laughs) remarks I didn't want to be here I was still mad at the world for having moved me here And I looked at him and I said, well, you may think I sound like Miss Melanie, but honey, let me tell you, I do business more like Miss Scarlett. (laughs) And I can do the book and I can do it in character. So which one would you like me to use to tell you, I don't plan to buy a sofa today. And if I did, it wouldn't be from you. And I turned around and I went out of the furniture store. Good for you. But I went home and I told Jeff about it. I guess that's the last time I let somebody make me mad. (laughs) about the issue about the way I talked and the reality is now that I've been here for a long time and I've been selling homes I've learned that anything that distinguishes you in this business may not necessarily be a bad thing and sometimes people remember me because I talk funny or in their view I talk funny I personally think some of them talk funny (laughs) Um, and if it helps me um, be remembered uh, then fine some people are charmed by it. Some people are disarmed by it. I find more people often relax a little bit. Yeah. More often than not, they slow down. You know, it's funny um, having a name like Marguerite, and you have a unique name as well. Mm-hmm. For a long time as a kid, I people would tease me all the time, right? They'd always try to come up with nicknames, and I never liked having such a unique name. Mm-hmm. 
until I got older. And now there aren't a whole lot of margaritas. That's if right. There are they're usually my grandma's age or, That's or they're right. the new generation. So people remember me because my name is unique. Right. So I agree with that 100%. If there's any part of you that's a character, embrace that and right. highlight it. Right. You Distinguish know? yourself Absolutely. in some way. And for some, there are people who will always uh, hear it, and no matter what I do or say, um, they will want to just assume that I'm not that bright. Sometimes that works for well, me in negotiations. You. I, know that for sure. <laughs> I, I like that when they think that up front because it usually works well for my client on the backside. So now you are very well known in our market for primarily handling luxury, the luxury home market and the higher end price points for our mm-hmm. particular market. Mm-hmm. And that's always an area that I think everybody seems to want to get, right? The higher price right. points, the higher right. commissions. You don't have to sell right. as many houses. Right. But I don't see very many shine at it in the way that you have. Well, and, and who has made such an impact in, in my opinion, a relatively short period of time. I mean, it's, you've been, what, three or four years um, now? It's, it's, I've actually been working in the real estate market around here about 10 years, mm-hmm. but I didn't really get very serious and go all out full time, really working it hard until my nest emptied. And once the nest was empty, I really put my head down and focused. And in truth, the market um, fluctuations of the last few years required that you either be serious or that you be gone. And um, so for some people that may seem why um, I've only been around a short time. I also never really set out necessarily to be pigeonholed as a luxury specialist because I never wanted anyone to feel in any way diminished or that they would not approach me with their five or $600,000 listing or even their $150,000 condo. Um, because for me, it was not about the dollars per square foot or the bricks and the mortar or the stucco. It really was about the client relationship. And some of my sweetest relationships um, born over time were um, younger people buying their first home, uh, investors selling investment property. Um, there's, of course, I have plenty of luxury clients. And, and in truth, um, I'm by far not the biggest name in luxury real estate around here. There are, um, I have some colleagues that certainly um, can lay me to waste with their statistics. Um, and if all I were pursuing were their statistics, that would be sad. Right. But it's really not. I'm really very much invested in it for the long-term relationship. I don't do hit-and-run real estate. And I never have. Um, I would rather have 10 really great clients next year that at the end of the year say we would never buy or sell another home without her consulting than to be able to say I sold 40. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that, that connects me to you in so many ways is because what I've seen, at least in my short time in knowing you, is that you are extraordinary at not only building and developing relationships, but deepening those relationships. Right. At having uh, relationships where, you know, you've sold more than one home for the majority of your clients mm-hmm. is, is what I've seen. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the, the biggest misnomer, I guess, the, that, 
the industry may have about the luxury home market. Where do you think, I, I guess that what, it, what I'm trying to ask is, you know, everybody wants to sell that price point, right? right. Everyone says, oh, I want to sell the million dollar homes, the million dollar plus homes, but they don't seem to put in the effort or the work ethic t- right. to do it with any kind of consistency. Right. Would you agree? Um, I do. I, with respect to the professional, and it is the question that I am most commonly asked, is how do I elevate my, um, my, my market price, what the, the market that I'm working in, how do I increase my sales price, my average sales price? And they think, I find the biggest mistake is a lot of those agents think that it comes down to marketing their image. Um, one case in point, there's an agent that I know um, here in the Roseville area who I think is very savvy. She has a, a lot of great experience. And I know that in the back of her mind, in her heart, she really wants to do luxury work badly. Um, I'm not sure if it's for the right reasons, but I see her consistently posting Facebook postings of homes down in Montecito, Santa Barbara, uh, L.A., Beverly Hills. Well, I just so badly want to tell her Honey, you can post pictures of $10 million homes in Montecito until the cows come home. That's not going to make you a luxury agent owning Cata Verdera. Mm-hmm. If you want to own Cata Verdera, go to school on that market mm-hmm. and set yourself apart from everybody else that's working that market. The, the second biggest misconception that I see is a lot of agents are of the opinion that there's some magic to it, that there's something different about those people that live in those big houses. I have clients that have had 10,000 square foot homes, and they are miserable in every square foot of it. Right. Um, they are no different. Um, but to the extent that their affluence comes from a success, they knew something. They had something going on that your average person didn't that led them to that success so as a result of working the luxury market I am very often most in fact in most cases Marguerite I'm working with people that are far superior to me intellectually they are far better educated Um, they have had more uh, financial resources than I've had and they all drove better cars than I did Um, but I think the reality is for me it has more to do with how the agent sees themselves and the biggest difference in luxury, the luxury market, and and working in more of a uh, sort of, quote, mainstream or normal market. The biggest difference lies between the ears of the agent. Yes, I would agree 100%. That, that's, it has nothing to do with the client. It has to do everything to do with the way you see yourself. And in truth... I've been playing with house money in life for so long. I have attained more, bigger, greater, more significant than I ever dreamed or could have wanted for myself. So there's not a whole lot that any other fella has that could diminish me as a person. I just don't, um, and I don't treat them any, any differently. 
Well, you know, I, I, I have to laugh a little bit because uh, you're talking a lot about confidence and how someone walks into a room. And um, for those of you who haven't met Valisa, I think, are you five foot one or five foot? No. <laughs> Depends on how big my hair is, honey. <laughs> She's a little bitty, tiny thing, but I have to tell you, when you walk in, you fill a room like nobody else, and I think that that confidence is is something that takes you way further than many, and and where do you think that confidence comes from? I, I honestly think that, that that is where it comes from. I, most of the time, um, when I was little, my parents taught me that it was as rude and unacceptable to make an issue of what someone had as it was to make an issue of what they did not have. Um, no more than you would make notice of someone who was physically handicapped would you ever make an issue of their wealth. Um, so I was raised with some serious Southern uh, grace, manners, uh, etiquette, that sort of thing. I was really well-trained and well-raised as a child. I, as my granddaddy used to say, I was well-raised, not snatched up by the hair of the head. <laughs> so um, I think I had a, a great upbringing that, you know, and, and to be honest, until I got out and moved to Houston, I thought we were wealthy, Marguerite, <laughs> which is really kind of pitiful when I look back at that. But I truly thought our family was well off. I did not know how very, very middle class we were. Um, I thought everybody had what I had. And um, so that set me off on the right path. Um, second of all, um, I think my confidence comes from within me. Um, I, am, I didn't get what I had because I, or any success that I have attained, I didn't get because I was brilliant or because I deserved it any more than anybody else. Um, it is absolutely grace. Um, any talent that I have or any ease with people comes from, um, I think it has a lot to do with my faith, that, um, that there's something bigger. Um, I think God has blessed me with more than I ever dreamed for myself. So when you're that sure of who you are and what drives you, um, there's not a lot that some external force can create for you that's a problem. And um, as I as I really look at it, um, it's gratitude for what I have in my life that drives everything I do. So I'm not really too terribly prone um, to be influenced a lot by what someone else is saying about me. So that leads me to a couple questions. First of all, what would you say to your younger you? Oh, honey, just relax. Um, um, <laughs> I had, I realized, I knew then that I had a strong sense of who I was. I knew that I had a strong work ethic. Um, but I kept waiting to be, um, to feel entitled to success are entitled to do well. I remember as a little girl, my granddaddy telling me that, oh, Stinky, you are, you are so smart. You can just do anything that you want to do. But you need to just sit back and let the men in the room talk first. Oh, you right. need to not 
you need to not be so out there. <laughs> On the other hand, I had parents telling me, oh, you should go to law school. With those verbal skills, you need to go to law school. You would make a wonderful prosecuting attorney or district attorney. And you can do anything you want to do. Don't get married too young. Be successful. And so I went out into the world with this mixed message um, and make sure you wear that pretty little pink blouse because boys like you in pink or that sort of thing. It was a very much a mixed message. And I'm a child of the 60s, and my own mother was trying to figure out whether or not she was liberated or, or, or not. Right. And um, so it was a different time for women. And my development professionally happened in the years when we were having our colors done for us and we were being told what colors we needed to wear and how to dress for success. I read that book cover to cover. Right. What I wish I had known then is that I did not have to wait to be 50 to deserve to be successful. I didn't have to wait to be 40 to pursue what I was interested in, that I absolutely had choices and that I could make them. Um, And I was fortunate to have been afforded the opportunity to be a mom when I wanted to be a mom and to be empowered to be a professional um, once I um, was not quite so on call all the Mm -hmm. time as mom. Um, But I wish that, you know, and I think probably if Effie had lived to see me to this stage, I can't help believe she would be so proud because she saw in me then what I don't know if anyone else had ever seen. And I have really tried to do that for Johnny um, is to make him understand he does not have to have gray in his hair to stand up and own his success in his career. And so Johnny is the young man that you brought onto your team. Tell us a little bit about, about how that came about. I met him uh, about three and a half years ago uh, in the office I was working in. He was there late one night I was working, and he was sitting at a, at a drop-in computer, and he was struggling with some MLS. And I noticed him and, and um, extended myself to him and said, you know, let me know if you need some help with that. And, he did. We struck up a conversation and started to chat. And, you know, it did not hurt that he was hotter than a $2 pistol. <laughs> Easy on the eyes. Yes. Um, he's a very attractive young man. And, and I spotted him. And because I have a daughter that age, I, I notice kids that age. And I talked to him for about two minutes. And I could see everything I needed to see in him almost immediately. He asked me if he could do some open houses for me, and um, I explained to him that no, they could not, but I'd be happy to have him come do some with me, and that once I was sure he was he was proficient, I would let him hold some for me. And of course, I was way overextended at the time. I needed some help. I needed to leverage myself. And there was something in him, Marguerite, I knew immediately. I don't. I have never thought that it was happenstance. or I don't believe in fate. I knew that it was a God thing. I looked in that kid's face, and I saw somebody that I trusted immediately. He started doing some work with me. He was somebody that I felt like was really worth the investment of my time. I wanted to see him do well. Um, he and I share a lot of the same family and life values and faith-based viewpoints. Um, 
but boy are we opposites in the way we work and took him on and started working with him and mentoring him and he was just so coachable and had such a sweet heart that I wanted to see him just skyrocket he very quickly absolutely proved himself and became a listing assistant and last year I absolutely felt totally solid in making him a full 50-50 partner in my business and of course I had people say, you know, what are you thinking? Why would you dilute your influence and your, your client base? And the reality is that even after dividing it in half, we pretty much doubled it. Yeah. I, it the leverage that it gave me, the freedom that it gave me, allowed me to do nothing but lead generate. And the opportunity to pursue things that I have wanted to pursue all of my career, knowing that my clients would not suffer. Johnny handles more of the operational part of our business. I handle more of the lead generation and client relationship. It's a very natural yin and yang in our business. And we've just recently added another team member. We've added uh, Kelly Davis has joined us as a buyer's agent. Uh, Carson Schmidley will graduate from the University of Oregon next week, and he will be joining us. Um, and then I have three additional agents in development, currently in development. So we are going to explode in team size this year and um, working on some really big things. I'm writing, uh, beginning a blog and starting to write my first book. Well, that is extremely exciting, which leads us to the fact that you have an event coming up. So I do. tell us a little bit. I'm really excited about this. We've talked about it for over a year now, and you've been wanting to do this. And um, I'm incredibly proud and supportive of you doing this. So Thank tell, you. Us, tell us, tell us, tell us the details. Thank you. Um, it is Friday, June 20th at the Marriott at San Ramon at Bishop Ranch. Um, the title of the event is called uh, When Affluence Meets Influence. And I'll be talking a little bit about the luxury market, um, what I see as, as um, some real-life experiences, a little bit of what you just asked me about, what does my 50, I, can't, I almost can't say that, but 50-something-year-old <laughs> self wish that my 20-something-year-old self had known. Um, so I'm going to be sharing some real-life experiences. It's not going to be, I tell people, it's not going to be a kumbaya. It's not about leadership. It's about real-life, day-to-day skill sharpening and professional development for someone who wants to be successful in sales, not just real estate sales, but sales in general. And I am so excited. My special guest um, is Ed DaCosta. And Ed is, for those who aren't familiar with him, he is one of John Maxwell's master faculty members. Ed's swim lane, if you will, is sales. And he is paid paid large, large sums of money to go into corporate America and train sales teams and work with sales managers uh, and officers and companies in corporate America. And he is not cheap. He also happens to be um, my coach. I was very fortunate to meet Ed Um, about a year and a half ago through John Maxwell and I heard Ed speak and it was again one of those moments that I I knew was um, providence in my career Uh, from the standpoint that as I sat there he as the cliche goes um, had me at hello he was five minutes into his his remarks and I knew that I had found my coach. And as soon as he had an opening, he takes a limited number of coaching students. I hunted him down like a 
dog <laughs> and uh, and hired him, begged him to take me as a client. And uh, he's been coaching me. I just re-upped for the next year. Um, Ed is a success coach, and he works with sales professionals who are, by most standards, are already considered successful, but who have that that goal that feels insurmountable, that mountain that they really want to climb. And I had some large goals. And Ed's specialty is taking that professional and helping them chip away at those goals, which is how I came to be actually writing the book that I have always wanted to write. Um, the working title is The Woman at the Table. That's awesome. I love that. You know, I'm very excited for you and the event, and I think that uh, for anybody that's in the real estate industry, you know, we were actually talking about this, so Valise and I had lunch before we, we decided to record this today, and we're recording it in the hallway uh, because it was too loud in the restaurant, and we were talking about how many of the agents don't want to invest the money in themselves. <coughs> Excuse me. Yet they will go out and spend that same money on cocktails, happy hour, you know, and a number of other things. Mm -hmm. So what have you seen as the most important thing that someone could do to improve their business? Number one, come to your event. Right. Well, for me, it was the actual self-reflection and the, the investment. Um, believe me, if you write a check to a coach like the one I have written to the coach I have, you will value that. Um, if you don't value your skills, your professional development, why should a client, why should a seller list their million-dollar home with you or their $2 million home with you or their $200,000 home with you if you don't think enough of the responsibility and the commitment that they've made to you to develop to the level of professionalism um, the the high the highest that you can achieve why should anyone else invest in you um, the the best decisions that I have made have been um, to work on building my career from the ground up or from the inside out this is not about my image I have never had a client hire me because they thought I was good looking or because of the car <laughs> oh, well thank you or because of the car that I was driving mm -hmm. And I was just being asked so much about, will you coach? Will you mentor me? Would you take me under your wing? I was getting calls from young professionals. I've seen what you've done with Johnny Fisher, and I'd like to talk to you about, about mentoring me. And I see this in you as well, Marguerite. I think this is something that we, we share. You have a real willingness to really put get in the face of a young professional, and you are unafraid to, to work on encouraging them to increase their skill, um, not their image. This is just not about image. And um, I sold a lot of homes um, in, a, in a Pontiac. <laughs> and um, so I, people that think they need to attain a certain level of success or have been in the Masters Club for a certain number of years or need to be a certain age, I used to oh, think yeah. I needed to have gray hair and big diamonds and drive a Cadillac in Atlanta to work in Atlanta's luxury market. And that just was not true. So I hope I can dispel some myths. I think, and I agree with you so much on that. I think that as an industry, 
you know, we've been through a rough period of time over these last few years, and I think we need to step up our game. And I think as agents, I hope that some of the newer or younger agents are listening to this and that they're willing to start investing in themselves. You know, I, I laugh, I think back, because all I have is a PhD, a public high school diploma, you know? Right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't make it through college. Um, but I have probably spent at least the amount of money a college degree would have gotten, if not a PhD, in self-improvement and education. And right. How to better myself and how to, right. how to make sure that as an industry professional, I'm showing up the very best I can. Right, and exactly. so I'm amazed when people won't spend, you know, fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or even thousands of dollars that I've spent mm -hmm. on continuing education and training and, right. and professionalism for the industry. Right, and I think you can you can go to every kind of seminar and self improvement. You can go to Ferry, you can go to Buffini, you can go to all of these things, and you can you can learn to lead, generate. You can learn to get business, but the biggest the biggest gap that I see is now what are you going to do with it and how right. proficient are you and do you bring your A game to the table on behalf of your client and what I see by and large is is lacking it was built in agent image it was built in spin and in polish but not in real life and in the luxury world it'll get in it'll get you invited out the door i agree so you know it's funny because one of the things i talk a lot about in training too is just showing up as a professional dressing professionally right you know and i see agents you know walk around in flip-flops and shorts and tank tops and um, they're all oh, well my client doesn't mind i said well your client won't tell you they just won't Right. Continue to work with you. Right. You know, and one of the things I'll say frequently is, so if you had a client come into town tomorrow that was going to buy a $2 million house, and it was your first appointment with them, how would you show up? Well, of course, I'd wear a suit, and I'd get dressed up, and then all this. I said, well, so does a $200,000 client deserve less? No. They don't. They, they don't. And, and when you show up big for the little ones, the big ones show up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the big things that I think is... People spend too much time thinking about what their client expects or, or my client doesn't mind my flip-flops. It's not about what your client minds. It's about your self-respect as a professional. The way that I show up for a client has more to do with how Valisa feels about Valisa and what Valisa is doing and how much I respect their business. And I believe when you show up and you, it was very obvious to them from the minute that you walked through their door. And I'm going to tell some funny stories about this uh, on Friday in San Ramon. But when you show up and it's clear to them that you respected their business, they may not mention it to you. But it has everything to do with how they see you, what you're doing. And they will forgive you uh, if you don't necessarily say the right thing. Um, as long as they understand that you valued their business and you were out to get what they wanted. So, you know, I have a few little hard and fast rules for myself, um, but it's been borne out for me in my coaching students and my, my mentoring uh, students that um, putting on the, the game face, I call it, and bringing your uh, professionalism in terms of how you dress and conduct yourself and how you speak and uh, sort of the way you work um, it changes 
everything about the level of self-confidence that they have when they're sitting at the table having the conversation about why your home is not really worth 2.2. It's really only worth about 1.6. Yeah. You, you just can't have that conversation in shorts and flip-flops. <laughs> there are a few realtors that can, right. and some do, right. but by and large, I think when you show up for the client, you need, you need to show up in such a way that says, I respect your business, I honor um, and respect the fact that you have chosen me to take this on for you, and it, it, has, not, it has not gone wrong for me yet. You know... Um I think that if anyone is even remotely on the fence after listening to you for the last 40 minutes about coming to your event, they are crazy. So I hope that uh, each and every one of you will take the time. I know that I'll be there personally, and we'll have the details on how to get signed up on mm -hmm. my website. So mm -hmm. you can click on the link and get right. registered. Right. I know that uh, Valisa is going to bring her A-game plus some, <laughs> and I'm extremely excited to, to hear you talk and come get some of those great nuggets from you. So. Thank you very much, Elisa. Thank you. For Thank you. I will, I will have the information. It will be available on my Facebook page. Um, there is a website. There is a social media site currently under construction that will probably launch in conjunction with the first speaking event. And um, we'll be continuing to develop that. But, but the event is posted at Eventbrite. Okay. So we'll have the details posted on our website. Okay. And we thank you very, very much for spending your time with us today. I'm, I'm, I always enjoy having some time <laughs> with you. We were supposed to go, we were supposed to go to the Source Restaurant here and have a glass of wine before this call, but they were closed on Monday. So darn it. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to do it again. We're gonna have to do it again, and I can't. And wait. not on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> not on a Monday. So thank you very much. Right. Thank you, Marguerite. It was my pleasure. All right.